Hey Westside family, my name is Eric Johnson and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys and enjoy. Good morning, family. Are you blessed? Look at someone and say, I know you're blessed. I can just tell it. Good to see you today. I hope you've enjoyed the service so far and felt the presence of the Lord. Uh, I was back there uh, just kind of getting my mind in the space it needs to be. And man, I just I felt the presence of God uh, in that last song. And I, I hope you were blessed this morning have been blessed thus far by the presence of God. So I uh, don't have anything extra to say other than just welcome. Love that you're here today. Uh, so last week, we started talking about uh, being elevated. And we gotten, we uh, started talking about letting things go. Man, I got a lot of really, really good uh, response from last week. So many people were blessed uh, just by our, our time of sharing. If you wasn't here last week, uh, I spoke a little bit, and then we just kind of opened the front uh, for people to come and just share about what they've let go in their life and how God has blessed them. And, I, man, that probably has been one of the best responses that I've gotten a long time as far as a service uh, goes and it just kind of goes to show you that we need to hear uh, about what other people goes through, amen. That not only that, but it's important that we have time to express and share uh, what we've been through, or maybe what we're going through, and how we, uh, you know, navigated and journeyed uh, through those things. So I wouldn't, cont- I would continue to keep. Uh, for you to keep that up, encourage one another, talk to one another, be real, be open with one another uh, for your own personal benefit, but also from the benefit of iron sharpens iron. Amen? So I'm going to have to be taking my glasses on and off today because I broke my main glasses. I was shopping, and my, my lens came off, and my glasses turned like that. Then <laughs> I kept going like that. Anyway, so I just have these get-by glasses and if I, you know, if I'm looking like this, you guys are nothing but a blur. If I look like this, my, my notes is nothing but a blur. So uh, I'm trying to figure it out. And if I do it like this, I look like I'm 80 years old. And, and uh, no offense if you're 80 years old. I just don't want to look like I'm 80 years old. I'm not going to lie. Uh, don't, don't, don't get your feelings all hurt. And I guarantee you, you wish you, you, wish you didn't look like the way you look either. So... Uh, Uh, They're telling me to shut up. Rewind. I'm honest. Like, I look at myself in the mirror going on 50, and I'm like, God, I wish I didn't look that way. And like, man, the older older you get, the ugly you get. Now, I'm talking to myself, right? Some of you might say, well, cut the hair, boy. And uh, it's like I'm trying to to cover up this ugliness. Right on, right on. That's what I heard someone say. Hey, you do you and I do me, and we'll mind our own business. Right on. 
I'm embracing getting ugly. So <laughs> my wife says, no, yeah, she's just, anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. I don't know why we got there. Let's talk about getting elevated. I'm sorry if I offended you this morning. If you are of my if you are one of my seniors here, I'm sorry. I'm just messing around. Thank you, thank you. But you say that, Matt, and you're only thirty something, so <laughs> you can't really say that, dude. Like, like I, I need to hear an amen from a senior, make me feel better, because I'm feeling really guilty right now. <laughs> I'm like, I, I really want to just give the mic to somebody else and be like, man, I should not have said that, Jonathan. You're an idiot, you moron. Uh, so, so all day today, I'm going to be like, Jonathan, Jonathan, John, did you say that? Anyway, I'm known to stick my foot in my mouth uh, in these, this position up here, so I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about getting elevated. So today, we're going to talk about being elevated uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, or, or causing the Holy Spirit uh, to be active in our life. If there's one thing that we need in our life to get elevated, that is the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. There's a bit of a, uh, a contradiction or a bit of debate of when that happens. Uh, some people uh, believe you don't get the Holy Spirit unless you are, quote, baptized in the Holy Spirit. But if you really dive into Scripture, you see that we cannot be saved without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so when you receive Jesus, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is, an, uh, there is another experience with the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about this before, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when you're saved, you're filled with God's Spirit. That's how you're reconciled. You couldn't be saved without it. Uh, but... Uh, the second experience is being baptized in the Holy Spirit along with, with, with other things. But my point today is allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our life, to be active, to go before us, to be with us. Uh, it, it's really hard to be elevated in God. Like you can be elevated by God's word. Uh, but if you really want to go as far as, as you can, if you really want to exercise the verses that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or nothing is uh, impossible uh, with God, certain things in Scripture, if you want them to be uh, present in your life, it, ha is, it, it, it can only come from uh, the Holy Spirit being active in our life. When you look at Scripture, you, you, you see that the Spirit of God... Uh, is a front runner before major change. And we see that in the Old Testament, and we see that in the New Testament. Just to give you a couple examples, uh, I'm going to paraphrase verses today, and, uh, except for one, instead of just read them, okay? So uh, the, one of the areas in Scripture in the Old Testament is when Israel was about to go into the Promised Land. And, you know, God told Joshua, hey, I'm, I'm sending you into this place that I have prepared for you. And this is really important for us to realize. So God was telling Joshua, look, I, I got a wonderful place uh, prepared, you know, for you, for Israel. Uh, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It, it, it's everything you dreamed for, dream, have dreamed of. And then he began to give them instructions on how to do that, because they was in the wilderness, they had to get inside the promised land, but before they had to, before they could do that, they had to cross a flooded river, 
which was the Jordan. And at that time of the year, it is known to be flooded. It was a rainy season. And God said to Joshua that you're going to have to send your priest first. But you're not just going to send your priest. You're going to send the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is paramount. This is really important. Just simply because of what the Ark of the Covenant represents. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. It was the place that the presence of God manifested. So when a, when a priest would go in and make a sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would go inside the Holies of Holies, and there would be the Ark of the Covenant, and he would meet with God on behalf of the people. The presence of God would manifest basically in between two cherubim that was a part of the Ark of the Covenant. So you had the Ark of the Covenant, which was a rectangular box, had a lid on it. There were two cherubims that was on the lid of it. The, the manifest presence of God would manifest in between the two cherubim. In between the two cherubim was considered the mercy seat, and the priest would interact with the presence of God. Now, the presence of God, the reason we see, we feel, we experience the presence of God is simply because of the Spirit of God. The Bible teaches us that God is in heaven. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven, interceding for us. And God on earth is through the Holy Spirit. So whenever we feel the presence of God, how many of you have literally felt the presence of God? I hope you felt it today. I felt it. Well, what you're really feeling is the spirit of God moving because here on earth, whenever you feel the presence of God, you are really just feeling the spirit of God moving because the, the Holy Spirit is God's presence here on earth. The Holy Spirit is a representation of God here on earth because God the Father's in heaven and God the Son's in heaven and God the Spirit is here on earth. He convicts us, he leads us, he empowers us, and the, and the list goes on. So when Israel had the Ark of the Covenant and crossed the Jordan, what you're really seeing happen is the Spirit of God moving with or before the people of Israel. And when the priest stepped into the river, the Bible says that the Jordan was pushed back and all of Israel was able to move up on dry ground. So this is really, really big because this was a major transitional period uh, in Israel's life. It was a moment of elevation. They was going from the Old Testament, or the, uh, the uh, excuse me, they were going from the wilderness into the promised land. They finally was able to die and kill off some of that flesh that came over with them from Egypt, and they were ready to go into the promised land. But what had to go first, what went before them, what went with them, what enabled them to do it was the Spirit of God. So that just that little section right there has to show us and it has to teach us. If we're going to be elevated in God, if we're going to pursue the dreams and the desires and the ministries and the sense of purpose and uh, possess all the promises of God that is for us, and we're going to have to do it with the Spirit of God. It is 
paramount. We cannot live without the Spirit of God. I don't know about you. Me in my flesh, I cannot live out the Bible truth without the Spirit of God. Like, I'm too sinful. I'm too carnal. I'm too weak. I'm too earthly-minded. What reminds me of Scripture? What gives me power? What convicts me? When I'm tempted and when I'm going through my trials and my tribulations, it's either the Spirit of God or my wife. And God gave me both to help me out. Can I get a ride on men or husband? But seriously speaking, the Spirit of God is what enables me to live, to live righteously, to say no to sin. To overcome my weaknesses. So the Spirit of God is paramount in our life. Now let's look at a New Testament example. So a New Testament example, again, is when God's children was about to be elevated. They was going from uh, a dry spell into a promised season. And this is when Jesus died. He had ascended And right before he ascended into heaven, he told them, he said, hey, you need to wait in Jerusalem. Don't do nothing. Don't go nowhere. You wait in Jerusalem till the promise of God comes. Prior to that, he had said, "Uh, I come baptized. What did he say? Or he told them that they were going to be baptized in fire and to wait for that promise. So what happened? There was about 120 of them. They waited in what they called an upper room, which was most likely just the upstairs room of a home. They were praying, seeking God. The Bible says they unified. They were together. They were in all accord. And then the Bible teaches us in Acts 2 that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and it it says all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came in like a mighty rushing wind with cloven tongues of fire setting on them, And then they begin to speak in other languages. The key, because we can go in many directions when it comes to both of these scriptural references. But the key that I really want us to pay attention to this morning is the fact that before a new venture began, before elevation began, before the promises of God, of the power of the Holy Ghost began, before the new church really began, before everything that happened in the New Testament began, what occurred is they received the activation of the Holy Ghost in their lives. We can go through quite a few examples in Scripture, but I'm going to leave you with those two. Just think about it. Israel elevated into the promised land. The followers of Christ elevated into the new promised land because uh, uh, followers of Christ going into that movement of God represented another type of promised land. And before they were truly elevated, the spirit of God has to be act or had to be activated. And I want to I want to say to you this morning that before we are truly elevated in God, elevated in his promises, elevated in his power, we are going to have to allow the spirit of God to be activated in our life. Look at someone and say the spirit has to be activated. When God created Adam, I find this 
quite beautiful. When God created Adam, the Bible teaches us that he was just basically a shell of a being. And he was not living until God breathed into him. And when God breathed into him, he became a living being. This is so different than all the other creatures, all the other beings that God created. Animal beings is what I'm talking about. God didn't create them to house his spirit. But God created humanity to be able to house his spirit. In fact, without his spirit, we are just shells of, his, of, of, of beings. And the Bible says that God said, let us create man in our image. In other words, in our ability to have spirit. In the same way we have spirit, humanity needs to have spirit. And it's on this spiritual plane that we are able to communicate, uh, have intimacy, intimacy with, experience uh, uh, the, the spirit of God, the presence of God, who God is. So Adam didn't become a living being until the spirit of God came in him. And I find it so awesome, and it's really, really important that we realize this. When God breathed his spirit into Adam, part of God went into Adam. The essence of God went into Adam. All that was sacred went into Adam. The part that God deep, deeply protects, see, God deeply protects his spirit. It's the one being that if offended would not be forgiven or the person doing the the blasphemy the bible says if you blaspheme the holy spirit guess what there ain't no forgiveness for that and it teaches us and it shows us the importance the sacredness the the, the power and the beauty of the spirit of god and god created you and i to be able to house this essence this sacredness, this beauty, this power, this portion of God. You're created to house in you a portion of God. God just didn't save you. Like God hasn't just delivered you. God just didn't do things in your life and, and, and put you in a place where things are good. No, God created you in a way where a portion of himself can dwell in you. His spirit, his essence, his wisdom, his power, his wonder is actually or can actually be in you. That's why it's so important and it's so beautiful. But it's not just, and the Bible even says that you and I, that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're the temple. We are where the Spirit of God resides in. It's in us. It's in you. But the thing is, just because he's in us doesn't mean he's active like God has purposed him to be active in us. Let me say that again. I want, I want that to get in your soul. 
just because you have the spirit of God in you, because if you are saved, if you've confessed, or if you believe in Jesus, if you confess Jesus, and if you've repented in your sins, and the Bible says you're saved, and the Bible teaches us that his spirit has came in you. But just because you have the spirit in you doesn't mean that he's active in you, that he's moving through you. He's manifesting in a way to where he comes out of you. The reason being there's some things that you and I have to purposely do in order for the spirit of God to be active in our life. And just coming to church doesn't quite cut it. It's part of it, but it just doesn't quite cut it. Just believing is part of it, but it just doesn't quite cut it. So there's three distinct things that we have to do if we want the Spirit of God to be active in our life so that we can be elevated to this place that God has called us to be elevated to. The first one is, is we have to give him permission. Can you say permission? The Spirit of God does not force himself to do anything in your life. He'll convict you. He'll give you knowledge. He'll provide wisdom. He'll try to lead you. But he will never move beyond your will. So, so God made it very plain in the very, in, in the very beginning. He's given humanity a will. A will to choose him or a will to not choose him. And if the Holy Spirit was to come inside of us and force our will, technically what is he doing? He is opposing God's way. God's way is for you and I to choose. Choose life, choose death. The Bible says that. Choose blessing, choose cursing. Choose to believe, choose not to believe. Choose to repent, choose not to repent. So the Spirit of God in us is not going to force us to do anything. Because if he was to force us to do something, he would be going against the will of God the Father. And the Spirit of God never works outside the confines or the structure of God the Father. Never. They operate in unison because they are one, even though they manifest as three. So, in order for the Spirit of God to be active in our life, we have to surrender to his leadership. We have to give him permission to lead us unto righteousness. We have to give him permission to lead us into ministry. We have to give him permission for him to lead us into the revelation of God's word. Because he's not going to force us to do anything. 
It was when I realized the importance of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I truly surrendered, and I truly surrendered, and I said, God, use me. God, lead me. Not until I gave God or the Spirit permission to lead me, empower me, and use me did I start hearing God speak to me in the context of ministry. He would put somebody on my heart. And that was really hard for me. Like, I'm, you know, I've said this before. I'm an introvert. And, you know, one on going up to a stranger or someone I'm not familiar with and, and, and uh, being like, hey, I feel like I should tell you something. Uh, that was very scary. Or, hey, can I pray for you? Ah, that's, 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 that's quite, quite hard for me. But guess what? When I gave the Spirit of God permission to work in my life, all of a sudden these opportunities begin to avail themselves. Opportunities to preach, opportunities to pray, opportunity for mission. Why? Simply because I gave the Spirit of God permission. Now, the Spirit of God has always used me in the confines or the structure for what I'm called to do. There are certain areas of ministry I'm not called to. because we're not all called to everything, right? So what I've experienced in my life, most of the time, there's a few exceptions to the rule because of need. The Spirit of God has always used me according to my bend. So the Bible says, raise up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. When you really dive into that area of Scripture, it really means train up a child in the way they are bent, how God created them to be. And it comes from a bow and arrow, a concept. You bend a bow in a certain, area, in a certain way so the arrow can be shot in a certain way to hit the target. So when the Bible says, raise up a child in a certain way, and it will not depart from it. It's really meaning to raise up your child in the way God created them, in the way they are bent. So that, that's God's way, is to raise people up according to their bend. And it's the same way in ministry. The Spirit leads us according to our bend. Now, most of my area of ministry has been preaching, praying, and leading. I get up and I preach a message to the people. There's opportunity at different times for me to lay my hands and pray for people. And sometimes in those prayers, the Spirit of God operates in giftings. And God has always put me in a position to lead a group of people. Whether that be in a setting as a lead pastor, as a youth pastor, as a kids pastor, or even a team, a human anti-human trafficking team, a children's ministry team. So that has been, the, those are the three primary ways that God uses me as a messenger, as someone who prays for people, and as a leader in, the, in a ministry setting. And the Spirit of God has always moved me according to that bend in my life. But that didn't happen until I gave him permission. So if you want the Spirit of God to be active in you and you want to be elevated, you're going to have to give them permission to work 
in your life. The, the second one is you're going to have to know his movements. The Spirit of God moves like the wind. The Spirit of God moves like a flame of fire as well. And what you have in both is relief and destruction. So wind can create relief, but wind can also create destruction. When I went to visit my parents a couple weeks ago, there was a lot of wind and rain as we landed. And literally within a a couple few minutes of arriving at my parents' house, we were standing uh, in their, their, uh, what we call call a den. Other people call it a family room. And they have like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 foot windows in their den area. And outside is the back porch and they had one of these big metal canopies and we were just sitting there talking and all of a sudden a gust of wind came in and picked this steel canopy up probably took it up 12 foot in the air slammed it up against my parents windows slammed it down on the ground up past a gazebo and destroyed it broke part of my parents windows destroyed the canopy Wind has the power to destroy things, but it also has the power to bring relief and comfort. Same way with fire. Fire creates relief, and then fire also destroys. So, what, 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 you know, I'm not getting on a rabbit trail. There's a, there's a rhyme and reason here. So, we have to learn the voice and the movement of the Spirit of God because two things happen. The voice and the movement of God in our life can bring relief. It can bring pleasure. It can bring blessing. But also the spirit of the voice or the movement of the spirit of God can bring destruction. Not destruction in a bad way, destruction in a good way. And what I mean by destruction, the killing of the flesh, the killing of wrong, the killing of unrighteousness, the killing of things that hinder us when it comes to our relationship with God. I can't tell you how many, I mean, just as many times as I've experienced the power of the Spirit of God operate through me, I've also had the God kind of, I mean, I've also had the Spirit of God kind of smack me around a little bit and say, Jonathan, what are you thinking, you idiot? Stop doing this. Stop watching this. Stop acting this way. Stop talking this way. Stop treating this person that way. Like when has brought power and relief to my life, And like wind has also brought destruction to my flesh, which was good. And he's still working on me. But you have to understand the voice, the movement. And it's all a bit different. We got on a conversation with my littlest one, with Abigail, uh, this past week. How does God speak to us? For me, he speaks to me in thoughts and he speaks to me in dreams. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time I've learned the difference between a thought that comes from God, a thought that comes from my own subconscious, and a thought that actually comes from Satan. Sometimes there's a struggle between what's my thought and what's God's thought, and there's a process that I go through to work that out. And then he speaks to me in dreams, and I've learned to know the difference between a dream from God and a dream from, I don't know where they come from, something weird. I've unlearned 
the voice. Last week, remember, I told you I was coming up here planning just to speak all three points of elevation last week. And then just sitting in that back room, the Spirit of God spoke to me, speak on one point, And at the end, how people come up and share what they've let go. That wasn't my bright idea. That was the Spirit of God speaking to me. How did I, how did I know that? Because over a lot of years now, I've developed the ability to know the movement of God's Spirit and to recognize His voice. If I don't know His movement and I don't understand His voice, how can He be active in my life? Because the Bible says He teaches us, He comforts us, He empowers us, He convicts us. But if I don't understand His movement and if I don't understand His voice, how am I going to receive His comfort? How am I going to receive his leadership? How am I going to know his teaching? How am I going to understand revelation? If I don't understand the movement and the voice of the Spirit of God in my life. So if you want the Spirit of God to be active and you want to be elevated... You need to start trying to understand how he speaks to you and what that movement looks like. It's, in, it's paramount. And if you don't understand that, how is God really going to elevate you? Because God doesn't elevate you by you doing nothing. God elevates you by do, you doing something. And then you have to ask the question, well, what do I do? There's a million things in the Bible that one can say we can do from and you need the Spirit of God leading you to do what God would have you to do. But if you don't know the voice, how are you going to know what to do? And if you don't know what to do, how are you going to be elevated? It's paramount. The third one is following the lead. So you give him permission, he starts speaking. You start hearing and listening. Now you start doing. When it comes to the Spirit of God causing us to do, it's always a double, double-sided coin. There is the practical side, and there is the spiritual side. God leads me, God leads me practically. That's living out the truth. That's little things I should do on a day-to-day basis. And I've, I've, I've told you this before. I've, that's happened when I've been on the job on a construction site and, jo- and, God, and, and the Spirit told me to take a certain set of tools, you know, to the job site. I remember one time I just, I, I don't, I'm not going to need that tool. And the job site was like 100 yards away. I got on the job site and guess what? I needed that tool. So I had to walk a total of 200 extra yards just to have the right tool for the job. I have the Holy Spirit tell me to take coffee to my wife. Most of the time, babe, when I bring you coffee, it's it's because I love you. It's not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) But there's times, literally, the Holy Spirit has told me that, and I bring her coffee. It's like, oh, thank you. I was hoping you would bring me some coffee. To the big things of expenses and ministry and people's life and how I should minister 
revelation and depth. What God wants me to do, what he doesn't want me to do. So you see, it's very practical, but it's also very spiritual. God might lead you into a spiritual place one day. The next day, God might lead you to do something very practical. One day, God might put a number of people on your heart, and, and the Holy Spirit just gives you the thought or just quick, quickens to your soul, intercede for these people, intercede for these people. And the next, next day, God might be just telling you to go buy something. God might tell you to start a ministry, like a small group of some sort, very spiritual. Or God might tell you to start a business or to start an activity or to go for a raise or to go for a a different position in your career. You know, the, the list goes on. But God moves and God leads practically and spiritually because physically, We're just a shell. The essence of who we are has to do in the soulish and the spiritual realm. So we activate the Spirit of God by giving Him permission, knowing His movements, following His lead, practically and spiritually. Now, activating the Holy Spirit in our life, being people of the Spirit, doesn't mean... We have to be weird. The Holy Spirit gets a bad rap because oftentimes the reputation that can be associated with the Spirit of God or being, you know, a person of the Spirit is weirdness. People going off the deep end. People a little bit radical, but not in the greatest way. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be weird. You don't have to be look, looked at like a person who's a little cuckoo. You don't have to be crazy radical. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be exuberant to be a person led by the Spirit. I have two beautiful, actually three beautiful examples in my life. I have a bunch, actually. But my grandfather was a blue-collar worker, very practical until he got disabled in his late 40s. He was a man of the spirit, but you would never, ever hear him say, well, God told me this, or you would never see him do things that is associated with someone being radical. The most I ever saw him do in church is raise his hand, maybe clap. Very practical man. But he told me story and story and story after story about the Spirit of God moving in his life most of the time in very practical situations. And then I have my dad. Now, what you see from my dad from the pulpit is not what you get from my dad when it comes to him operating his church. My dad operates his church in a very professional, very professional way. There are multi-dimensional church that absolutely requires business organization. But when you, as you know, when you get my dad at the pulpit, 
it's like the spirit of God just takes over. And I've, I've, I've kidded with him. I said, uh, uh, I said, you're like the ta- Tasman, instead of the Tasmanian devil, cause he would be offended. I said, you're like the Tasmanian preacher. You're like all over the place. Ah! But when my dad's at home, when my dad is dealing with business and real estate, construction, church, organizational issues, my dad is, is extremely calm, extremely fact, uh, practical. You would never know that he has this deep, very wild relationship with God where he hears the voice of God in a, in a very, very unique way, and God speaks to him on a regular basis. My, my, my point, I'm just bringing out what I've seen, what I've witnessed, what I've experienced in my life, is you can be a person of the Spirit and be, for lack of better terms, very normal. Are you breathing this morning? Like, let's just be real. The world doesn't need a bunch of weird Christians. They don't. What they need is people that can relate to them, people that loves them, people that is willing to help them. And when people praise for them, the power of God manifests and changes their life. They need to witness God in us. They don't need to witness some flamboyant act of the flesh so that we can label that the Spirit of God moving in our life. Sometimes that does happen, and I'm not going to negate that, right? I mean, I've told you, sometimes God hits us, and I think sometimes he does it just to prove a point, but God just, sometimes God hits us, right? And, man, it's like electricity going through our system, and we can jump, scream, shout, and holler. That's really an exception to the rule. That's really not the rule of thumb, Like, study Jesus' life. Study the apostles' life. You don't see weirdness. You don't see, uh, like, this radical uh, act of the flesh. You saw them very relatable, very common. In fact, in the New Testament, they looked at the, uh, the apostles and be like, what are you? You're just common men. Nothing special. Uneducated. But you got this power. And some people even wanted to buy it. And they rebuked that because it said the Holy Ghost is not for sale. The Bible even, in some of their conversation in ministry, they, they, they said, we don't come to you with fancy words. We don't come to you with anything special. But what we come to you with is the power of the Holy Spirit. So to be so if the Spirit of God is active in our life, it doesn't mean we have to be weird or do things that brings attention to ourselves. It's just we have to know the voice of the Spirit and follow his lead when that, when that happens in our life. Am I making sense? My heart and my desire is for all of us to be people of the Spirit, but not to be weird. 
Not for people to look at us and be, ooh, they're a little bit off the wall there. But for people to realize that we walk with God, we talk with God, we have a relationship with God. We live our lives according to God's word. And therefore, they know they can come to us and they can talk with us and they can receive prayer from us and receive help from us. Not because we're anything special or not because we're anything deep, but simply because the spirit of God is active in our lives. Now, this is my ending here. Let me read you. John, uh, the gospel of John, chapter uh, 20, verses 21 through 23. And Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's the kicker. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's as if Jesus was getting the heart of his followers prepared. So this was after his resurrection and before his ascension. Can you imagine what was going on in his followers' heart? I see it as bitterness, anger, rage, confusion, misunderstanding, doubt. For three years, they walked with Jesus. And now in the course of three days, he was taken away. And it was his own people that shouted, crucify him. It was one of his own disciples that betrayed him. Like, I, I don't know about you, but if I had someone close in my life and they was betrayed and they was brutalized and they were taken away from me, like I would have issues. I would be mad. I would be angry. There would be a heart of unforgiveness, possibly a heart of revenge. How can I get them back? How can I inflict pain upon them? Like they've inflicted on my family, on my loved ones. So, I mean, the Bible doesn't say it, but if you just, if you understand human nature, you have to realize the potential of their hearts being angry and being hard and being, and having a sense of unforgiveness because of what was done to their Savior. Jesus breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he went into a little dialogue about the condition of their heart. And that's what I'm leaving you with today. Is you taking inventory of the condition of your heart. Because a hard heart, a revengeful heart, a lustful heart, a violent heart, a deceiving heart, a heart 
that opposes God is not a heart that can host the elevating power of the Spirit of God. There's a reason that this is lumped together. God, Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus immediately had a conversation about their heart. In the context of forgiveness or unforgiveness. So the first thing when it comes to being elevated is not permission. It's not knowing the movement of the, of the Holy Spirit. It's not following his lead. No, foundation, ground level, step one is getting your heart right. Because if your heart isn't right, there's going to be an issue with pure love on your behalf, on your part. And the force and the power of God is always based off of love. Hard hearts, contrite hearts, sinful hearts are not hearts that possess the love of God. And if you want the essence of God activated in you, you have to take upon the essence of God. And that's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The greatest commandment is, the Lord, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one like it, the Bible says, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the essence of God is love, but a hard heart, a contrite heart is the opposite of a heart of love. So your first step when it comes to the Spirit of God being activated in you is to change your heart. What's going on in you? What needs to be changed in you? What attitude needs to be different? What view of a person or people needs to be different. Jesus was on the cross suffering and in pain. His father had abandoned him. And he cried out with one of the most beautifulest cries that came from an absolute pure heart. Father, forgive them for what they do. And you know what? You and I can attain that same level. So Fast forward a little bit, and you have Stephen. And he preached the gospel with conviction and passion, and it offended some religious leaders. And they threw him in a pit, and they condemned, they condemned him to death by way of stoning. So religious leaders and people begin to throw big old, and when they stoned back in the day, it wasn't pebbles. It was giant uh, stones. And they begin to throw these stones on them. And 
when people would get stoned, it wasn't like a one hit and done. No, they literally stoned them until the bones in their body was crushed. And he was being stoned. His bones being broken. His flesh being ripped open. Blood flowing out of his, his body. And the Bible says about Stephen that he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that he looked up to heaven and he took upon the character of Jesus. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost. He took upon the heart of God, the heart of love. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So you see, the Spirit of God functions and it is intertwined with love. Even when the people you're to love isn't worthy of it. Check your heart. Check your heart. We are in such a divided state, not California state, but state of existence. We are in such a divided state. You have liberals, you have conservatives. You have the in-betweens. You have the conflict of who's a male and who's a female. You have a conflict of heterosexual and homosexual. We got a conflict conflict of, uh, of white, brown, and in-between. We have a conflict of who pays higher or lesser taxes. We have a conf- conflict of socioeconomics. We are more divided in our nation than we have ever been divided. And you and I are facing the challenge of truly loving people. Can you truly love the person who completely believes and acts on something that is polar opposite of the faith that you hold or the people you love or the lifestyle you stand upon? See, God wants to do a work in our land, but God is not going to be able to do a work through us if we don't activate the Spirit of God and we cannot activate the Spirit of God if you and I don't know how to love everybody. It don't matter your differences and it doesn't really matter how you feel. And it doesn't matter whether you're right or whether you're wrong. All that is not priority. What's priority is God so loved the world. What's priority is God is a God of love and we should be a people of love because we are a people of God.
Watch your heart. Watch your heart. Watch your heart. That's that's the go-home question. Where's your heart? Because it it really makes the difference whether the Spirit of God is active or not, or activates in a way where you can be Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.